What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. It is Monday, October 24th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, what is going on? Matt, not too much. I'm actually going to see the Bears play the Patriots tonight. In Foxborough. Wow. Yeah, so I'm pretty stoked on that. Um, I'm really hoping to not come home completely miserable, but we'll see. You never know. <laughs> like earlier this season. Yep, 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 yep. Um, we're going to do a little bad podcasting real quick because this is not a video podcast, but Nick, I'm going to show you something disgusting from this weekend. Live on air, give me your reaction. Oh, God, okay. Um, I, I, I haven't stopped talking about it, so everyone knows, but I'm training for the New York Marathon. Went for a long run, and it was warm, so your boy sweat through his hat. Look at this oh, salt. <laughs> oh, that is disgusting, dude. Dried. That is like, just throw it out. Dried. I'm going to put it in the wash. Dried salt on the hat. That's what Nick was reacting to. Dude, that's disgusting. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a sweaty guy. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually also shocked that you wear a hat while you're running. Is that not uncomfortable? I'd be uncomfortable. It's one that I got specifically for like moisture wicking. Apparently it does a good job and it keeps the sun out of my eyes. So. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. That yeah. I do it on some days, nice. but um, I don't want to keep talking about that. So let's get into the show. Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. If you haven't already, please make sure to turn on notifications so you don't miss an episode and go share this show with at least one friend if you could do that for us. That'd be sick. That would be so cool of you. All right. Today's feature story episode is about the building sector. We're going to get into consumptions, emissions, and recycling across the sector today. Yeah, yeah, interesting episode. So the first step in this episode is understanding building emissions. Where do they come from? Why are they so high across this sector? Emissions from the building sector are incredibly high in most cities because there are more buildings there than in rural or suburban areas. In Washington, D.C., for example, 71% of the city's greenhouse gas emissions come from buildings. Those emissions can be broken up into direct emissions from the source or indirect emissions occurring downstream from the building. So if a company owns a building that creates kitchenware, for example, the indirect emissions would include transporting that kitchenware to the stores that are going to sell it. Building emissions are also categorized in three scopes. Scope one is direct emissions, including gas used for cooking or heating. Scope two is indirect and includes electricity purchased from the grid. Scope three is other indirect emissions, such as material extraction, waste disposal, travel, water consumption, and more. Building owners have the most control over their scope one emissions because they can plan to phase out gas burning equipment, for example. You know, when it's time to replace appliances, you can go for electrical appliances that aren't going to be using the gas to, say, heat your water. Yeah, and scope two is a little bit more tricky than that. So because electricity is bought from utilities, 
It can vary based on where the building is located, the time of day, or even the time of year. Building owners can offset this through rooftop solar, but renters do not have a say in this. Yeah, so the best way to reduce scope two emissions is to just use less electricity. But in office buildings, for example, that's easier said than done, especially in certain industries like steel, where they're constantly going to be producing stuff. Yeah. And for scope three, it can be even more complicated. These include construction, maintenance, renovation, and the end of life stage where the building is demolished. Overall, the building sector accounts for 34% of the greenhouse gas emissions produced in the entire United States. This number has been falling, but direct emissions have been on the rise. And those emissions come largely from energy consumption. 39% of total energy and 75% of electricity consumption comes from the building sector. But another chunk of our emissions includes the construction stage. Construction was found to make up 38% of global emissions in 2019, according to a study published in December of 2020. So it's really the whole life cycle that's carbon intensive. And renewables provide a fix to electricity consumption, you know, especially as appliances are converted from gas heating to electric heating, for example. You'll have more electricity consumption, but fewer emissions if you have more renewable energy in the grid. Kind of a long-winded way of explaining that, but the way to think of it is, if you're gonna be creating emissions through the processes of your building, gas is gonna produce more emissions than electric. Right. In this situation, if you're producing emissions through electrical consumption, let's say that your normal emissions are, are whatever they are, those normal emissions, even as they go up because you're now using more electric and less gas, that's going to go down as more renewable energy enters the grid. You put solar on your own roof and you offset more of it. So there's ways to reduce scope two emissions. They're not simple. But they're getting easier as renewables become more prominent. Right, exactly. And another way to reduce emissions would just be to have more energy efficient designs for buildings. And that's something that we should have um, our buddy Pat on because he can definitely talk some more about that. The people's architect. (laughs) Exactly, dude. Yeah, that that reminds me a lot of the interview with Keith Hutchings that we did about um, passive solar homes. And those are basically designed to get warm in the winter and stay cool in the summers. So you don't need as much air conditioning if you need any at all. So to extrapolate that out to the rest of the building sector, if it's something which is more efficient design means less consumption, that's good. And then that consumption you do have, maybe it is offset by utility scale, solar and wind, creating more renewable energy for the grid. And then you have solar on your rooftop as a building owner. Yeah. You know, there, there are ways to get around those scope two emissions. So it's encouraging that, you know, we're moving forward towards something where it should be less, even if it's incredibly high right now. Yeah. And hopefully innovation can push, push that even lower, you know, all of our emissions even lower and lower and lower, but yeah. What were your thoughts on this when we were reading this? You know, did you know that building sector emissions were this high? Because I feel like for the average, you know, lay person, that might not be something they'd expect. You know, you think transportation, you think all the cars on the road. Like, what were your what were your thoughts here? No, I definitely did not think it was this high. I mean, uh, what was the number I was the most surprised about? Um, oh, the uh, in DC, 
71% of the city's greenhouse gas emissions coming from buildings. That's yeah. an insane number. Like, that's absurd. Especially for a city that is not as big as, like, New York, for example. Yeah, and something to factor in, too, is, like, the building sector is huge, but construction, we said, makes up 38% of global emissions across the world. You know, there's astronomical numbers of emissions coming out of the building being built or operating. Yeah, and we're actually going to talk about how to reduce those emissions from construction and operations after a quick ad break. Stay tuned. Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, everyone. We wanted to now go over how recycling impacts the building sector and other emissions reduction solutions. We're going to start this with the beginning of life for buildings and then talk about reducing emissions through new ways to produce cement. Forbes posted an article earlier this week about cement demand soaring with growing economies building out their infrastructure. The cement industry creates 7% of the world's carbon emissions, so this growth does come with a cost. One of the ways to reduce emissions is to change what goes into cement. So clinker, the main component, can be replaced with materials that create half of the environmental impact without sacrificing durability or usability. A new material called pozzolan uses less energy, less water, it costs less to produce than clinker, and it creates less waste and half of the carbon emissions. So I know what you're thinking, what's the catch? Luckily, one of the largest producers of cement, Votorantim Cementos, is leading the charge to switch to Pozzolan. So with construction of new buildings using Pozzolan, you don't have to give up anything or spend more money to be more environmentally conscious. Several industry leaders are moving towards net zero concrete, which is something that wasn't really talked about five years ago. McKinsey reported that the cement plant of the future could reduce emissions by up to 75% by 2050 compared with 2017 levels. Around 20% of those reductions are going to come from operations such as energy efficiency and the clinker substitution that we just spoke about. Another 10% are going to come from alternative fuels, which the article says is, quote, depending on their availability as it varies by region and depends on the decarbonization efforts of other sectors such as steel and energy. Yeah, so one way to cut the building sector's emissions is building with cleaner materials. 
Another is reusing and recycling buildings that are getting taken down. The New York Times article in your show notes talks about a building in Amsterdam that is being removed. Half of all waste in the Netherlands comes from construction and demolition. So the country and other European countries have attempted to reduce that waste through regulations. An engineer named Michael Bars thought that instead of contributing to that waste, the building could be turned into materials for a road. Bars is part of a new wave of engineers, architects, contractors, and designers that think that buildings should be designed with reuse in mind. This fits in pretty well with the Netherlands national policy that it's going to have a waste-free economy by 2050. One of the major ways to have a waste-free economy is by striving to create an economy that is circular. Yes. So a circular economy goes past recycling and says that no new raw materials will enter a country or city's economy. Right now, recycled materials are used in the, in the Netherlands, but limestone is still mined for cement. A circular economy means that all raw materials that will be used are already in use. It's kind of like the circle of life, but instead of life, it's raw materials. <laughs> from concrete you came and from concrete you shall return or something. <laughs> nice. So, Good quote. Yeah. So circular economies focus on how things are composed, not how they will be used. You know, it's really easy to create something that's single use. We've seen that with single use plastics here where you can create plastic mm -hmm. straws at mass, mass scale. What's harder to do is to design something that is going to break down and be able to be reused more easily. This article says that anything made thoughtfully enough can endure indefinitely or have its molecules broken down and reorganized. So when we say completely broken down, think of something like glass, where glass can get broken down back into sand if you grind it up finely enough. The glass molecules are technically just sand at this point. You can then remelt it and turn it back into glass for reuse. So that's something where, in theory, if done 100% correctly, glass can be its own circular material. The author writes, The nature of modern building materials is one of the trickiest parts of implementing circular ideas. In many cases, refurbishing things is so expensive, demanding time and expertise. So it's cheaper to simply just buy something new than it would be to reuse it. Right. And this is so similar to the plastics industry. Like we see this all the time where, you know, you use things once, single use plastics, we talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's the entire life cycle of that, of that plastic. Because a lot of the time we talked about, we did a whole episode on recycling. It was a Monday episode. Yeah. And how a lot of the things that you think you're recycling and is, is getting reused and reused and recycled is not actually getting used because- for a multitude of reasons, but one being it's dirty, one being it's, you know, whatever, whatever the reason is. And so cement, it's the same thing. It's the same thing here. You, you have to have something that can be broken down or repurposed in another way uh, to make it the circle that we're talking about here. Yeah. And honestly, to sum it up quickly, the reason that they're doing it, it's, it's cheaper and it's easier to just buy something new. Yeah. And the easier part, that's something that with better design, you know, and thinking about reusability for materials, that can fix the whole issue of it being easier. As far as cheaper goes, I mean, let's think of it this way. 
it should be cheaper to buy cement that's been repurposed than to buy new cement. So if we change the system and change the way that materials are composed mm-hmm. and focus more on reuse, there's no reason why it won't be cheaper to reuse stuff moving forward. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So a lot of creating a circular economy for buildings comes down to designing components that can be disassembled more easily. The comparison they make in the article is something that I really appreciated, and they said that you can almost design buildings like Legos. So buildings can be created as prefabricated materials. You know, you, you build something off-site, you bring it in, and you install it. If they're done that way, where they're built off-site and assembled on-site, why can't they be disassembled the same way? You just take the materials off like you would take off the top piece of a Lego, mm-hmm and then disassemble it off-site. Right. So this article dives a lot deeper into the circular economy if you're actually interested. And it also talks about the concept of ownership in general. But we're going to move back into buildings. So the original building we spoke about has been broken down by Michael Barr's company and is being used for road material and for a home for older people. But recycling this building and other buildings that have undergone a similar process has presented challenges. The article mentions that the plans need to address how to develop and pay for specialized labor that's needed to deconstruct and refurbish old materials. You're essentially teaching people entirely new skills compared to just demolition. Another issue is where do you store these materials as they're being updated for their next use? There's a picture in the article where they show this big warehouse where it's just got (laughs) piles and piles of like the side panels of buildings. (laughs) Yeah. Buildings take up a lot of space, so even when you condense that, you need a place to store that. So that's a major issue for consideration. The third one they bring up is, how do you gather enough data about existing buildings and their demolition schedules to be useful for future designers You know, as a resource that they can use? And the way that I would think about it is, let's say that you're working through the permitting to build a building in the next three years. How do you repurpose another building without knowing if it's definitely going to come down within the next two years? So it takes just meticulous planning and very far scheduling out in advance, which is definitely a challenge for people who are designing something far before they're ready to construct it. Yeah. And the article ends with Michael Barr saying that when he looks out into the city, he doesn't just see decaying buildings and aging infrastructure. He sees raw materials for another life, which is really, really a cool way to think about it. It's not just like depressing rubbish, you know, just stuff that will never be used again. Everything can be repurposed. And that's a really cool way to think. Yeah. And when you when you see that he's, his company has already made a home for older people and is also being, um, the material is also being used as road, it's really cool. Like the, we're seeing it in action. It can be done. It's still safe. Yeah. And it's something that we should all consider. Yeah. And, you know, I hope that this is something that catches on outside of the the areas that we spoke about here. You know, if this is something where globally we can reduce construction emissions by using repurposed materials, that's great. You know, we need all the solutions we can get. So this might not sound important, but when you think about 38% of global emissions coming from construction, you think of the building sector producing whatever it was, 30-something percent of emissions in the U.S., Yeah, the building sector creates a lot of emissions, whether it's at the inception stage, the operation stage, and usually the demolition stage. But if you can remove 
the emissions related to demolition and then offset the emissions related to creating, we're looking at a very, very different outlook on the building sector in the next coming decades. Yeah, agreed. And we have to think about it maybe like we do our our plastics is like get as much use out of the materials that we are producing anyway or that that have already been produced as we possibly can get multiple uses out of the same material it's the same mindset yeah exactly all right that will do it for today's episode of tpt nick and i are gonna be back on friday for some quick hits yes definitely tune into that episode and make sure you share this episode with at least one friend if you liked it. That's all I ask. Just one. <laughs> and I will ask you to follow our socials at Planet Today Pod for more TPT. For the Planet Today, I'm Nick Janusa. And I'm Matt Norton. See you on Friday. Peace. Peace.